To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Uh, it's hunting season. Can you believe it? Oh, I'm so pumped. I can't wait to get out of here and go chase some muleys. Um, so today's is a timely podcast. This is on high country muleys, and, and I was able to get Marlon Holden, who's the gray light hunter on Instagram. I was able to get him on the podcast for an authentic conversation, and uh, what a great one. Um, man, we dive deep down the rabbit holes of different subjects between uh, you know keeping calm in the moment, uh, locating deer, uh, mindset. Um, Marlon's extremely intelligent and really articulate. He really chooses his word choice well. And so we just had like this great back and forth and, and you know, it, it carries over. Like I always say, how you do one thing is how you do everything. So, you know, how he hunts is also how he handles business and, and life. And it, it was just a great conversation that I really enjoyed that I got a lot out of. And I know you guys will get a lot out of. So we'll get this thing rolling. I just got to thank our sponsors real quick. Uh, Zamberlin Boots. So Marlin also uses Zamberlin Boots. Um, they're just a great company. Uh, these these two pairs that I got this season that I'll be using, I'm so pumped on them. Like the, the one is a low-cut height boot, super lightweight, which you always know that I'm into. And it's a single-piece leather design. Um, so it's called their, their 320 Trail Light Evo GTX. Yeah, I don't think you can get a better low-cut boot. It's a Vibram sole on it, great grip. Uh, it's holding up to all the abuse I can throw at it thus far, and, and I'm sure it's going to hold up for the rest of the season and maybe another season to come. It's very rare that I get multiple seasons out of a boot, but if there's one that I can do it with, it's this one. Uh, I am also using the 103 Hike Light RR. So you guys know my love affair with running tennis shoes. And uh, so Zamberlin fit the bill and they came out with like a hiking shoe that's got a Zamberlin sole on it. And it's just built like a little bit heavier duty. It's a single piece leather as well. Um, waterproof. It's just a great shoe. So I can't help myself. I've been wearing that one everywhere too, but uh, I, I just really like Zamberlin, really like both pairs of these boots. And, and they have different pairs too. You know, we're all individuals and we all make our own footwear choices, you know, to the country we hunt, our preferences. And, um, you know, there's just so much that goes into it. So you don't have to choose the boots that I did. They have a, a bunch of different pairs in there to fit you. So just make sure to check them out. Zamberlin boots. And, um, thanks for everything with the podcast. We appreciate it. I also want to thank Onyx maps. Uh, Onyx is just a great company. Um, you guys know that I use their tools nonstop and leading up to this Colorado and this Wyoming hunt and, and my elk hunts, um, you should see all the waypoints I have marked and you can choose different icons for each waypoint. So you can choose buck, antelope, bull, you can choose water, you can choose campsite. And so you can just mark out your entire hunt plan on this map and then you know, I always like to mention that you can use Onyx even if you don't have cell service. You just save the map and then you can pull it up. Your GPS still works without cell service. Uh, there's so many great overlays. Uh, this is a must-have and, and a must-use tool for me. Um, I just absolutely love their product, Onyx, and, and I use it 
nonstop for hunting, for scouting, and it it really makes me better at what I do. So if you're not a, a member yet or a subscriber, uh, make make sure to get a membership. You $99 will get you a membership to all 50 states for the entire year, and you can use it on your phone, your tablet, your computer. Um, like I say, it's just an invaluable tool. Um, so make sure to check them out on X. And over there at Eastman's, um, we're getting super excited. We're getting our final plans for everything for hunting season. I know uh, Brandon Mason is out this week. Um, we're going to try to get a podcast recorded, uh, but he's out this week. He's hunting the antelope. Um, yeah, I know the guys have big plans. I know Scott and Ike, they're headed back out for early season mule deer. And so it's just that fun time of the year. Oh, also Dan Bacar, what do you think he's hunting? Just elk all the time. <laughs> um, that he likes to hunt mule deer and antelope too. I'm sure he's mixing and matching that, but that guy is an elk fanatic. And so we've got a podcast coming up with Dan Bacar that I'm going to release to you guys here before elk season. So I'll try to get it out to you in the next week or two, but it's a great one it's all about how me and dan uh like to hunt elk like this this spot and stock tactic this coyoting the herd this um hunting them silent you know so it was a real interesting conversation about elk hunting so that'll be a good one i'll get out to you guys so we got some great podcasts coming up great beyond the grid coming up i know i just turned in all the footage from my antelope hunt um, so I'm hoping that makes an episode of Beyond the Grid that I can share with you guys and show you. Um, it's a really fun hunt. I just love chasing those things around. And then we've got plans to film a couple more. So uh, I'm really excited for the opportunity and um, see if I can, what is that, uh, capture uh, magic in a bottle? or <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it that's what it seems like when you're filming a hunt. It's just so difficult on its own. And then to try to capture it and, and capture all the footage from it, you know, on public ground, on a self-filmed hunt, it's like, um, or not even self-filmed, but just even having a cameraman, it just puts like an added degree of difficulty. So, so it is like capturing magic in a bottle. I don't know what the saying is, but it sounds good enough to me. But uh, so that's what we got going on at Eastman's. Let's get this podcast rolling. A really fun conversation with Marlon Holden, all about mule deer. Uh, Eastman's Elevated, here we go. So that bow season is so good in there. You're in for a real treat, man. I'm I'm, I'm excited, like, to, to, to say that you know, I mean, there's so much going on in my life that, um, I mean, you know, we can we can kind of take this many different ways, and I'll, and I'll actually let you pick the tempo. But I'm I'm changing at such a radical rate. I mean, I, it was just a few years ago that I was just all about the idea of just being a killing machine. I just wanted to put as many down as I could and and prove that you know, like I was good enough and that blah blah blah. And, Oh, sponsors, and this is cool. And now I, I just don't care about any of that. I care about, um, like, my true and dearest love of the earth. And I care, I'm like, I've kind of come full circle in that I still have that desire to hunt, but I, st I have this desire inside of me that says, why, why do you desire to kill? It's a very unique thing that's happening and changing. I mean, I'm 40 now. Um, how old are you? Uh, 39, almost 40. Okay, so it's like this interesting thing because I haven't lost the desire to, to hunt, but 
I'm losing the desire to kill. And as that happens, I have like more reverence for the spirit of the animal. Uh, I have more uh, a deepen a desire to basically love their habitat, to love them, to watch them, to be a part of their lives. And I can definitely see myself like falling away from me hunting, but maybe, you know, just totally investing all of my effort into watching my son become a great hunter. He's eight now. And, um, so I'm, I'm kind of like in a, in an interesting phase where like the proof doesn't matter to me. It's almost like I've proven to myself, I can go into the mountains and arrow bucks. And then, and now there's just this part that's like, why, why are you taking them for the sake of taking them? It, it very, and then there's this other part that's a super, you know, confident alpha guy that just loves to go into the mountains and find a big buck and know for certain that like that thing's going to die. And, and it's just this, I don't know how to explain it. It's so strange. Man, I'm, I'm with you. We're all on separate journeys, you know, and we're all on individual journeys. And, and yeah, for me, like I used to have like such a drive to be successful almost to where I wasn't enjoying the process or I wasn't enjoying the actual hunt itself. I had so much pressure on myself and I was pushing so hard to be successful and it felt like success was the only thing matter that mattered to me. And now, like, I've just fallen in love with the process. I love the, the preparation, the, the shooting and the trail miles and the, the, the research. And, and then when I get those days and I've taken care of my work and my family and I'm free, like, it feels like the ultimate challenge out there. But I, I've learned to, to really enjoy it, whether I'm successful or not. And like you said, like, really enjoy the habitat. And that's you're going to fall in love with Wyoming just because the habitat is so killer for those mule deer it's just um it's absolutely vintage high country mule deer just with shoots and slides and and cliffs and rocks it's really challenging and and you don't see any wilderness in there but it doesn't matter there's enough remote country in that national forest without trails without motor vehicles that you can get away and go have your own experience but I'm with you, man, as we're all on our own journey and and we seem to grow as people and learn as people as time goes on. Oh, it's totally a radical experience. Um, and more than anything, I'm just super humbled by it. I, I, you know, I, I never know where it's going or what direction it's going to head in, but I know that I'm um, grateful of the journey, like grateful to be alive and just you know, at the same time, along all of this, just super excited to be in the mountains too. Like really excited to be in the mountains. So I'm I'm stoked to to have the tag. I've never been out there before. Super super excited for it and kind of just see what happens. I I, I I'm not so sure. I really even I don't know. I'm kind of going into this hunt with like an open open heart. Like whatever happens happens, so to speak. Uh, go ahead sorry no you go ahead um man that is such the best attitude to have though isn't it like i i just had like i've become friends with um david wise two-time olympic gold medalist and we had him on the podcast and hearing him talk about like like caring enough to put in the effort and and, and want to be good at it but then just letting the cards fall where they do and letting it happen and not putting so much pressure on yourself. There's something to be said for that. And that attitude, 
Like, it's really weird. Like, when I go into a hunt and I don't care if I kill, I'm in it for the experience. Like, New Zealand was a, a perfect example. I was just happy to be there, happy to be going and going with an open mind, and I wanted to hunt hard, and sure, I want to get some stocks, but I really didn't care if I killed anything. I wanted my buddies to be successful. Uh, my buddies were successful, and then it just seems like when you go into things with that attitude of just enjoying the process and going for it, it just seems like you find success even more so than when you're pushing for it. I'm I'm right there with you. Like, I don't have many hunting buddies. I have a couple. Um, it, it's kind of interesting because my close mindedness with hunting has also, um, made me a specialist. You know what I mean? Whereas somebody like you can, you know, go hunt Aldad, you'll go hunt Axis, you'll go hunt pigs, you'll hunt tar, you'll hunt, you know, all types of different stuff. Nothing, um, garners my interest in any way, shape, or form, except for mule deer. And, and it's kind of weird because I grew up on a boat sailing around the world. And when we were sailing, like, I hunted a pig in almost every rainforest you could possibly imagine, from islands to Costa Rica to Panama to, you know, Venezuela to Colombia and Cocos Island, and all through the South Pacific. We used to hunt pig. And we hunted sea turtle, believe it or not, and monkeys and iguanas. And, you know, you just eat. You eat. And uh, the world operates like differently. There's no stores. You can't buy anything. It's just if you want food, you go get it. And um, a lot of people, you know, like give you the giant frowny face like you killed sea turtles, you know, but there's so many of them that you like literally could play hopscotch over the ocean with them. And it was like the most uh, the most easily attained protein source. And, you know, between diving and spearfishing and all that, I, I hunted a lot when I was younger but um not you know not like this this is more of a i don't know if i can say paying a homage towards who we are as human beings or if i would call it um a deep down primal desire within myself that's more of a genetic encoding that i can't necessarily explain but it's a desire to provide by which i'm not sure that I have the capability of telling um, a naughty eat a meat eater, you know, why I would do it. Um, there, there's this just burning desire to continue to do it. And um, I like matching wits kind of one-on-one -on -one with them. And, and so for, so I think it's, it's for you, it's, it's one of those things that's kind of open doors. You get to hunt with a lot of people you go to a lot of places me, I go to the same places all the time and talk to the same people. So I guess in, in some ways, in some respects, you know, it's kind of kept my my circle of influence pretty small. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, that's um, that's interesting. But as a specialist, you get really good at your trade and you're you're known for that. And and for good reason, you're such a good mule deer hunter in the mountains. But it, it's also like um, you're following you're following what, what gets you excited and, and what you enjoy to chase. And there is no better challenge on, on the face of planet Earth than a mule deer. Um, man, I, I mean, I just absolutely love hunting them from, you know, their different habitats to the different seasons. Uh, every mule deer looks different in there. 
you know, the, their, their racks are so big proportionally to their, to their bodies. And not that that's what I love, but I, I just love seeing like a skyline mule deer looking at me or a nice, um, a, a nice frame on a mule deer. There's just something in the mountains. Um, there's something in the mountains that they're, they're just, they're iconic to the West and iconic. Like I, I fell in love with where they live. So early on, you know, I, I, I really wanted to be this sheep hunter, this, this mountain hunter, this goat hunter. And I quickly learned that that was a little out of my tax bracket as I, as I started to get into the, the, where, you know, and I started to look at the, the price of some of these hunts and just thinking, boy, you know, okay, after I sell my house, maybe I can do this hunt. And then, <laughs> and then actually, you know, you build a family and you find out that it's irresponsible, responsible to go spend, you know, $20,000 for yourself when that can go to bettering your family and, and bettering your household or your, your debt to income ratio. And so, you know, I got there, but, but through that journey, like I found these high country mule deer and I always, I love chasing mule deer and I moved to Montana and, and cut my teeth hunting elk. But I, I just had this love for mule deer, and so I started traveling around Montana and then started looking at the opportunities other places, and, and it just takes you to, like, the the most remote places that the lower 48 has to offer, and it challenges you. It's like mountaineering, but not only do you got to go to the top and back down, you got to go up there and survive seven, eight, nine, ten days, live through storms, live at what the West can throw at you, and live at an altitude where humans really aren't meant to be, and not that – you know, we're in the death zone or anything like that, but there's, there's not much foliage up there. There's not much for fires. There's not much to uh, sustain life up there, you know? And so like, I think, I think that's why I love mule deer so much. It, it like, those are my reasons for li- liking mule deer. And I, I found those mule deer and living up in those Alpine basins, those shoots and slides and uh, like it was like a painting everywhere I looked, and I felt like I was the only guy up up doing it. And I know I'm not. There's just a lot of country out west, and you can kind of get away from the pressure. But you know that extreme nature of hunting those things—that's what I fell in love with. Isn't it incredible? Gosh, like you're getting me excited talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> me too. So I think I'll just get the podcast going. So uh, we won't. Um, you know, say the unit you're hunting or anything like that. But I think I'll just start the conversation. It's been so good already, Marla, that I think we'll just continue it. So tell me a little bit about, you know, your guidelines as, as pertaining to like, how do you, how do you, is there any subjects you want to hit or do you just want to kind of have a flow of stream of consciousness and we just kind of just have a conversation? Yeah, that's exactly right. Those are my favorite ones and our interests align so much that I think no matter what we talk about, it's going to be interesting. And um, I'm sure that we'll circle back to mule deer wherever we go. But I just really like a free flowing conversation, just like we've been having the last 10 minutes. Okay, man. Cool. Yeah. So um, mule deer. So that's one of my questions to you um, as as I got into this is, yeah, the, the mule deer you really focus on mule deer and that's what you love to hunt and that's what you put all your effort in. Yeah. I just, I just absolutely love them, Brian. They're just such a mad, magical animal. Like, I mean, they're, they're literally like my unicorn, right? I, you, all you have to do is be at 13,000 feet watching one, definitely walking away skylined, you know, like a, just a, a mature heavy antler buck, tall, big boxy frame and it just gets in your blood forever. I, um, I've only been doing this for a little over a decade and 
And before that, you know, didn't even know what a mule deer was. And, and so this is kind of like a, it's a seasoned thing now. I mean, being that it's taken, consumed a lot of my life. But when I first found out about mule deer and, and I decided to pick up a bow, I mean, they, they're the one animal that quintessentially stuck out in my mind as being the iconic West. And I mean, even though elk are, uh, I just never could wrap my head around chasing anything else. And, and so, yeah, mule deer, um, that is definitely my calling for sure. I love them. Well, and it's, it's where they live in the different seasons and, and the different habitats it takes you to. But I also think like, or partly what I enjoy and what I think you'll agree with is, is the stock and that methodical, really thought out slow stock in those those mule deer, their instincts are so keen, you know, their ears from their eyes to where they bed to their wind. Like they're so good at catching you. And I, I think, you know, that's the biggest reason I love bow hunting too, is the challenge of it. And mule deer definitely present one of the biggest challenges out there. Yeah, without question. I, I all of those reasons. Um, that, that's one of the reasons why I've stuck with mule deer brand like over the years and, and haven't really ventured out much. Um, I like mule deer because it is truly mono a mono. It is a literal one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, sometimes they'll be in bachelor groups, sometimes they're rutting, but um, no matter how many eyes there are, I love the element of how singularly smart they are. They're very intelligent animals. I think they have a high level of uh, IQ and EQ with regard to their environment. They know every single part of their kitchen, their living room, their backyard, their front yard, and they know when something's in it. And that's part of the reason why I love pursuing them so much um, because of the ultimate challenge. And and with a bow, I mean, I the bow in and of itself is just this mag like awesome you know instrument to get to know and once you reconcile yourself to the fact that hey i'm i'm just going to pursue these things with a bow kind of, you know how you do um it's amazing how the bow turns into this device of well i have no other option and when you have no other option you figure out that you you make it work at all cost and the bow ends up feeling like you know an extension of your body the stock is, is so intense and, and every little part of your being and fabric is tied up and invested into the moment. But it's, it's, it's interesting, as, as smart as they are, and as much as we, we know how there's, you know, almost electric fields that they're able to sense. Like when you get in close on a really mature buck, sometimes you feel like they can sense you and you're not even making a sound. Um, and, and that part to me is really intriguing. I love stalking mature bucks because of the challenge that they present. And, and that is just like ultimate. As a matter of fact, I'm hoping I get to do a little bit of that here in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> me too. I'm with you. It, it is electric. And I love that first stock of the season where, you know, you, you finally decide to go on all in and you're almost like tingling with anticipation and you really have to slow yourself down. And, and I like that it, 
it comes down to these moments. Like it comes down to your instincts and your decision making. It directly affects whether you kill that buck or not. Those those nuances of a stock that you either make or don't make or decide to go all in or don't. Like there's it's 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 up for interpretation. There is no black and white. It's all gray. And so you just have to make these decisions that tie back into your instincts and tie back to your experiences previously that you have. And so it's such like a thinking man's game, you know? And so that's why I love it. It is chess. And you talk about those mule deer knowing their habitat so well. They do. They, cause they live in a, you know, they have their, their first living spot, which is a, you know, can be one drainage or a, maybe a couple different drainage, secondary living where they move down, rutting grounds. But you're right. As they get in, they get to learn that country really well. And you do get to feel like it is their bedroom, their kitchen, their living room. And they really know when there's intrusion into it. And these these mule deer, they've evolved from thousands of years of avoiding mountain lions. And like if you like watching your house cat around and watching it stalk animals, my house cat is a better hunter than I could ever hope to be as a kitten. You know, like that thing just has the instincts. It's out chasing birds in the yard and it'll stay frozen for 15 minutes, you know, where that's really tough for me as a human, especially in this modern day and age. And I've, I've gotten better. And I think the reason I've become a better hunter is I get more and more patient letting those situations arise, letting that buck make a mistake, letting things happen and not forcing it to failure. Um, but but that's one of the things that I love is those, those mule deer, you know, f- through that, those thousands of years of evolution and those instincts, they are so good at the country they live in. And so, yeah, when you get in close to a big buck and you outsmart them, like there's not many things in this world that'll that'll make me yell out loud or they'll, that'll make me be filled with such joy, such accomplishment than bow hunting just because it is so difficult and you put so much into it and you can put everything into it and still fail for years and so when it comes together you get it right and a lot of it you know too is the shot like i love to execute a good shot have that shot break hit that deer perfect my goal 365 days just came to fruition right in front of my eyes like there, I haven't found anything else in that this world that gives me that joy or that gives me that that moment or those feelings. Well, it's the it, it's so there's so many components to that that you know the, everything you just said. I mean, there, there's several components, not only the stock, but you know, in in the execution of the shot. Um, I mean, so let's fast forward, right? Where you know we have a buck on our back and we're hiking out. It's, um, it's nice to have a, a filled tag and a heavy pack. Um, but it's almost like a melancholic hike. It's a, it, it's, it's an excitement hike. It's a, you look back, you look at your shadow and you sit there and go, Oh my God, he's there. You know, you, you have this, you know, grin from ear to ear because you know that the shadow that's showing itself before you on the ground as you're hiking down the trail, like, you know, you can see see his antlers and, and stuff on your on your pack, and you got that excitement, but you know it's over, right? And and it's kind of like uh, interesting the anticipation the whole year how we anticipate, we'll practice, we'll shoot, we'll make sure that we do the animal justice when we're there to make a clean, quick passage for that animal. But I've noticed, you know, I mean, the the more and more I pursue them, um, the more and more it, it's not. It's it's the ultimate challenge for sure, 
kind of bridging that gap to what you were just saying though is the focus there's not another thing even even in my professional career i don't know that anything brings me to that level of execution and focus in such a critical fashion that the timing must be perfect and the execution of that timing even in big business doesn't it, it doesn't uh it doesn't bridge that gap it does not there's nothing that i've seen that that quite comes close to it and so i think that you know for a lot of reasons that's definitely why uh for bow hunting for sure the level of adrenaline and the control over that adrenaline you know over the years um i developed a really kind of a neat technique i don't know if you do this too you might um but over the years, I've, I've learned to not capitalize on the moment that I get into range. I've learned to sit down, watch them, observe, listen to their mannerisms, even listen to them chew their cud, the way they flick their ears, the way they flick their tail, the tempo between those flicks, what their body language is when their ears are flicking flies away or when they shake their head. I want to hear them breathe and then I'll get my, you know, my phone out and put it up to my binoculars and take a crappy picture just for the heck of it. But I do that all to calm myself down. I do that all as a method of you're here. You're right here telling myself, just relax. And the more that I control myself, the easier it gets where the hunts become less and less difficult. And then when it's time to execute, it really isn't difficult anymore. It's basically timing and ensuring that you understand like range of motion, field of vision, um, timing on the execution of your draw. And, and those movements become a mechanical and very divisive function that you execute. And, and I know you know this because you've, been so effective at taking so many animals it starts to become pretty and and this is in the most humble way but it starts to become much easier do you experience that too yeah you're so so you're so right you articulated it so well there um yeah it is like i find myself being way more patient of a hunter you know like you say that you know you mentioned waiting to, the right time to draw like just really waiting for that buck and not it's not just being in range in the first broadside you take that shot i really like how you soak in the moment and you're allowing yourself you're calming yourself down um because that's one of the biggest things with being a successful bow hunter is your ability to be calm in the moment when all the pressure's on all the adrenaline's there it's a different deal than shooting at a target but you have to make it the same deal as shooting at a target and kind of like the way you described it as mechanical movements instead of tied to this emotion and how bad you want this buck. Um, you, you know, you like I, I let it develop in front of me and I, I really wait for the right angle on that animal. And I'm really trying hard not to force my arrow into a tight window in between branches. And, and I have a lot of, um, like you say, the more you do it, the more confident and comfortable you get inside bow range and executing shots. And like you say, it, it does 
become an automatic – not an automatic, but it, it seems like it just becomes easier to execute. And instead of – you just don't mess up in those situations anymore. I know how to execute a good shot, and when I – when I get that opportunity that I'm looking for, I'm going to release a perfect arrow. Like I, that's how I walk around the woods, and it sounds like you do too. But, man, you really explained it well there That where I could really relate to it in the way I get in range. But I, I think that's part of the reason you're so successful is that knowing how to calm yourself during the moment. That's the toughest thing to do. Wouldn't you agree? Um, just kind of taking it back to when I first started – and I didn't have those kind of skill sets. The, the mindset was, you know, you just got to get a buck. Like, how are you going to do this? And, you know, they're so smart and they're always looking at you and you make these mistakes and they run. And yeah, completely. Um, I think that, you know, the moment that you make the choice in your mind to say, I'm going to move at a pace by which is on the deer's time, not mine. Um, you just get really more effective, like a lot more effective. And, and that's not to say that I don't push the pace and get extremely aggressive in certain situations, but I'll take advantage of, of anything in order to close the distance. And even, even if that's, you know, a gust of wind comes over the brush that I'm particular patch of brush that I'm in, but there's not wind blowing, you know, how gusts of wind move over the mountains and the, the 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 dry grass or whatever it is starts to really move around me. I'm moving with it really quickly sometimes and extremely aggressively in a manner that, you know, I might make up 20 yards in half a minute. But as soon as that gust goes away, then I'm back to sitting entirely still. And I've been in situations where I will be – cognizantly looking at the ground, picking up rocks, checking things out, just not even a care in the world that the deer even exists. I've noticed that with mature deer, they um, have a hard time sensing your electrical field. You're, you're kind of, there's this electromagnetic type of static barrier. I'm not sure how to explain it, but these smarter, more mature deer, they have a sense about them that once you get to that 90 yard, 190 yard mark, 80 yard mark. The last 40 yards on some of these really tough bucks can be quite difficult. And I notice the less I pay attention to them and the more I just focus on <laughs> literally being in the outdoors and just enjoying like, oh, it's pretty outside. Well, look around. Those mountains are gorgeous. Like, and just kind of laughing and and smiling and, and just being happy to be there, I'm able to thwart that, like literally get in close to animals that that don't allow it. And, 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 and I've messed with it a little bit just by spending time with them, the different reactions. And you'll notice that, like, have you, have you noticed that tense, there's a difference between a tense footstep and a relaxed footstep, that when you feel like your boots are going to creak versus your, the sole of your foot is melting in with the earth. And the difference in a tense hunter and somebody who just wants to kill the deer um, is going to make a mistake from the outside that maybe somebody wouldn't see, but it's really all a feeling. And that feeling, when it hits you, 
it becomes like this next level of awareness, almost like a different dimension. And you become like a different human being. And in that moment, um, you become extremely effective. That is so interesting. Um, there are a couple great points in that one, but I just, I, I love how you talked about that gust of wind and like you're, you're one with the mountains. And so you're seizing an opportunity when that wind gust blows, like you say, you can cover 20 yards in a hurry and then you're going to sit quietly and silently. So you're almost taking what the woods are giving you or taking what the conditions are giving you. And then I think that's really interesting that the tense foot, the relaxed foot, because you're right, like the the first stock of the year, the the first couple stocks of a year, whether it's on a mule deer, whatever animal it is, I'm I'm all tensed up with this anticipation, this anxiety. And it seems like once I can kind of get in the flow of things, I just relax and and um I like what you said also, like about looking around and enjoying where you're at and what you're doing, like being in that moment. And and I'm the same way. When I am on a stock, you know, I've maybe driven 20 hours from my house. I've been hiking who knows how many miles and how much elevation and how many nights I've slept out and how many storms I've bucked. But here I am. I'm getting a stock on a mule deer. Like this is worth the price of admission. This is this is what it means to be alive. Like it's what I love with every fiber of my being. So when I'm on a one of those methodical slow stocks on a muley, like it is, it's, it's relaxing and being in the moment and just enjoying where you're at and letting it come. Totally. I mean, that's what we waited all year for. So let's say it's the first more opening morning and, you know, let's say we're just after a good solid buck and you got a good solid buck in your scope and you're like super jacked and like, this is going to happen. Okay, let's go. Like, Let's bed him up. No, hold on just a second. Let's wait till he gets to his second bed. He's just going to chill there for like 30, 40 minutes, and he's going to get up when the sun hits him, and he's going to move to another part of the tree or, or quakey patch or, you know, crumholtz or whatever the case may be, right? And then, you know, he starts pawing it out, and he sits there, and you're like, okay, cool. I'm good for another, like, at least three hours, and, you know, pending the wind or the thermals or the monsoons don't hit me. And, okay, so let's, let's you know, let's let's make this happen. Like, when you get in tight – and you execute the shot and it's just like over, then it's like your whole year is just like flashing before, before you. And, and the experience was just about the kill. And, and I love so much to make it more than just about the kill. I want to, I want to be able to like look back. And I mean, as I get older, as, as we get older, these, these, these times in our life, I mean, I don't know whether I have, five year of these. I don't know if I have one year. I don't know if I have five years. I don't know if I have 20 more years that are good where my health is just insane where I can get up these mountains. Like I want to be able to look back and be grateful and be thankful for not only my health, but that I've been able to come up to these places and, and, and have gratitude in my heart and, and reverence for the animals and, and really take it all in and make it a comprehensive overwhelmingly beautiful experience that, you know, I'll carry with me. Even if I'm like camp cook when I'm 80 talking to, you know, my grandkids about how cool it was in Western Mulder country when I was younger and, you know, what bow hunting looked like with me, they're probably going to look at our equipment, you know, and be like, you guys were in the stone age. And, and, you know, all we're going to do is laugh, right? Because we thought we had the latest and greatest, but whole different conversation. But I mean, I just have to take, take it all in. Like I, I love looking out over the mountains in end August, early September, and you just 
see those big, huge, white, billowing clouds that turn into these gnarly thunderheads, in the, you know, come two, three in the afternoon, and, and how the dynamics of that change with the diurnal shifts and then the thermals. And I like to watch the fabric of that come to life. And, and the more that I allow myself to identify that, and the more I allow myself to understand it, like, you don't have to ask, well, how much time do I have left? Like, you know you know how much time you have left. Nothing is a, is that kind of a question anymore. There's no rookie answer in your brain. It's just, you know, what's going to happen. You know, when you need to push the pace, you know, when you need to slow down, but also you're garnering this greater understanding of the earth we live on. And you're just super, you're woke. You're totally woke. You're in the moment and feeling it all. And it's so visceral. I love that part about it. And, um, that's what I love about it too. It's, um, it, in you know, through that and through like humans are made, we're made to challenge ourselves and, and anything worth having takes hard work to get. And up there in the mountains, when you put all that work in and then to appreciate where you're at and what you're doing, it gives you a chance and gives you perspective to look at other things in your life too, your business life, your family life, you know, husband, father, like it, it, like I can think about those things more clearly when I'm up there in the mountains and I've been up there struggling for a few days than I can when I'm at home relaxed on my couch. I just can't think about it the same way. And so like, like through that, one of the big things I get through hunting is it gives me perspective for the rest of my life. And it, it is like, we like, it sounds cliche, but we do, we only have one chance at this thing. And, and you know, are we just alive or are we living life? And, and everybody enjoys different things. And that's part of the beauty of this life is we're all individuals. Um, but like the one thing is, is me and you, like at least right now in the current time, I have found what I love to do. I have found what I feel like is my calling, you know, is, is being in the mountains and chasing these around and challenging myself and then coming home and being a better person because I've had this perspective and I've been able to chase adventures and chase my goals and challenge myself. But it just gives me such perspective in, in other avenues in my life too. I, I really couldn't agree with you more. Um, through the through that journey, it, it's cultivated you know so many different things for me, and uh, a lot of it's gratitude, like total attitude of gratitude, and and I think that that like has come with a little bit of wisdom and a little bit of maturity. Um, some lessons you learn harder than others in life, and as we move through this, it's it's like yeah, we get one chance of it, and. Uh, you know, we all have to make the best of it. And I don't think that anyone's better than anyone else. Like I'm not better than somebody else. We're all made of, you know, the same flesh, the same bone, uh, the same skeletal structure that, that identifies us uniquely as, you know, human beings. Um, I think that having respect and love for everyone is something that's super important. And, and not only that, but you know, being able to truly, at the end of the day, uh, have humility, um, not only for the animals we take, but the, the people that also love and share the outdoors with us. I mean, just because, like, somebody doesn't hunt, um, to me, that's just an opportunity to, like, talk to them and let them know kind of, like, you know, where we've come from and, and who, as human beings, we were before we could go to the grocery store. Um, bow hunting is such a wonderful and amazing pursuit 
it's a lifestyle more than it's, you can't, when you say you're a bow hunter, it's almost like it, it takes you back like through millennia through, I mean, even all the way back when I'm, you know, when we discovered fire to think about the fact that, you know, we are hunters and at the end of the day, there's something within us that also garners that side of us, which says we are providers. And um, being that hunter, being that provider, has kind of like a, an earth way of being a testimonial of time. Um, and, and the ultimate challenge for me being, you know, mule deer, is a highly engaging thing. It's not something that I can just pass up with a, you know, like a kind of a, a shoulder shrug and a, oh, well, it's, it's a very large part of my life and my sense of identity and who I am. And, um, they've given me so much. Um, not, I mean, when you said, you know, you're up on the mountains and how things become clear, whether it be being a dad or being a husband or, or in business and in life, um, uh, bow hunters, hunters, mountain hunters, mountaineers, people who push their mental focus and their level of understanding of what tough really is because tough people can only be as tough as their experiences. And if your only difficult experience was that you had to hitch a ride to school in the morning, that might be the toughest experience you've ever gone through. And so when somebody pushes you to go do something that's outside of that, then it's going to be, you know, like this insurmountable, insurmountable obstacle that's like overwhelming and, and will be something that you can't overcome. And the thing that I love about what we do, Brian, is really the level of mental determination. Like you're a brother, regardless of whether I've shaken your hand or not, meaning the fact that you've been up on the mountains and we know the same light, the same moment. I can smile right now from ear to ear knowing that you get it and you know what it's like to push. And I can stand right next to you through some of the worst, most adverse conditions you can be thrown and know that, no, he's got what it takes. We'll get through this and we're going to make it work. And that adversity has, I think, a tendency to grow really strong teams, great leaders, people who like great fathers for their children, you know, it allows you to just be this really good uh, sounding board, somebody who's affable, confident, reliable, trustworthy, and capable. And I think it just builds so much character um, to put yourself through some of the things that we do on the mountains. And, and that's also an, a completely different facet that I really love about this pursuit. And that is so well said and hits home for me. And I just, I, yeah, I have the same mutual respect. I am, I was so excited. I am so excited to get you on the podcast and to have this conversation because I know we're cut from the same cloth and our, our, um, you know, our, our interests and our passions align so much. So this is so fun for me, Marlon. I'm just so glad you came on. What a cool conversation. Um, and, and in all of this, it comes from bow hunting. It's so wild that you used the word, word visceral earlier and 
you're right. You like there is a common tie to our ancestors. The reason why we were able to evolve and be where we are today is because we were hunters. You know, two hundred thousand years. The the reason we made it as a species is because we were hunters. And there's something in our DNA, deep down inside us, that that I think we get out of bow hunting that you can't get from anywhere else. You know, it it is a, a direct tie to our ancestors and, and to our being successful as a species, you know, it, it's just a uh, wild. So man, it's just really fun to have this conversation and break it down with you. Uh, I'm the one who's thankful, man. I, I, I kind of live in, in like this little world, of, this little bubble of business, right? Like I, I live in Laguna beach, California, dude. Um, I'm literally seven minutes from the beach. My studio's like on the beach, on the main drag. And, you know, I'm around people that, for the most part, have a, a little bit of a challenge um, understanding, you know, kind of who we are. And, and and they all wear the leather. They all eat the meat. They all are, you know, very much so participating in um, animal consumption. But the identity that goes along with the camouflage, the bow, living on the mountain in the extremes for two weeks just seems like this inconceivable and odd type of uh, awareness to them and a different level of, you know, kind of commitment. Nobody's really against it. They really think it's kind of neat, but they're just like, you do what for how long? Um, I, I rarely ever have anybody say you're a hunter. Like most time people are very accepting of it. Um, but the funny part is, is that it's very hard for people to understand, you know, why would you put yourself through this? Why are you doing this? And so, you know, getting back to being thankful, I'm truly stoked to be able to talk with you and, and be given the chance to kind of publicly vocalize my love for the outdoors, for good conversation, for um, even, you know, the young hunters that, that may be listening to this right now that are looking for just that little shred of hope that, you know, they haven't taken their first buck yet. It's their first bow. They've been practicing like crazy. They're really trying to figure it out and, and they have the jitters like crazy. And, you know, they're just trying to get past that. And, you know, my, my sage words of advice, if they're to be taken in any manner, shape or form is just, just keep loving it, keep pursuing it and, and hold it with high regard and respect and, and, and allow yourself to breathe and take everything in because this life happens so fast. It's important to be thankful and, and it will happen. Like if you want it, it will happen. That's just divine manifestation. Like you want it bad enough. It's totally going to happen. Um, just keep after it, but going back to thankfulness and gratitude, I'm stoked to be on this podcast with you. I'm, I'm really pumped up. I love, Everything that, you know, the Eastman's are doing, what they perpetuated, not only for habitat, but for the sport and, and the lifestyle and, and, you know, Western big game to begin with. It's just super cool. So I'm really amped up and very positive and stoked on it. And so I'm, you know, stoked for the opportunity and, and very happy to be um, on here with you. Well, yeah. Um, congratulations on your article coming up in Eastman's, too. I can't wait to read it. It's in the, the next EBJ, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, we got a high country mule going in there. And then uh, I think EHJ's got a uh, 
my double hook cheater uh, archery desert buck going in there. He's going to be pretty cool too. Oh, how cool! Yeah, that's on my list to ask you about. So I'll get to that. But yeah, that that I'm really excited to uh, read your writing too. As writing is like a, you know, it's a. I, I love listening to you speak, but writing's like this this different. It's this different form of expression where you really get to think and structure your words and go back over them and make sure it says exactly what you want it to say and make sure that it, it hits all the points you want to point. So I'm I'm really excited to read your article on that high country muley. Was that um, one from last year? He was, yeah. He was um, he was literally an opening day buck. He was first stock, first you know got up in the morning. There was actually. Um, two guys that saw him and busted him out of the country and he went, I was watching with the Coas. I'm, I'm kind of a, a different hunter in that I don't like to get tight in on basins right away. I, I watch things and observe and um, I was probably five miles away with my Coas just watching everything and I had probably like 40 different bucks in my field of view uh, on opening morning with several different bachelor groups, anywhere from three to eight bucks each, just kind of just milling around doing their thing. And I was, you know, watching them all bad, kind of gauging them, sizing them up to see which buck I, you know, I, I thought might be a shooter. And, and, um, I saw these two guys stalking and I would intermittently check back in to see if they were, you know, how the stock was going and whatnot. But, um, they bumped them. They were, they were pushing. Well, basically they, they began the stock before the diurnal shift occurred and so these bucks were feeding to their bedding area and they had already started their stock which is kind of like um in in my eyes that's like the last thing you want to do um if you if you want to put that deer down if like you want to get super super aggressive and the wind's totally right sometimes it works out pretty good but uh it didn't for these guys as soon as the shift started to like change the thermals i mean it was game over and these deer went um a couple basins over and uh, bedded back down in some cliffs. And that, you know, gave me my opportunity. Um, really pretty 28 inch, you know, nice, just pretty four point. And um, being that I'm so busy at work and whatnot, I just said, you know, I'm going in and next thing you know, I'm at 43 yards at full draw. And then like, that's all she wrote. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's kind of it's a really cool story. Um, all of them are, I mean, in my opinion, I just love chasing these Alpine muleys. There's something about the Alpine dude, like above timber, you know, 12, five, just thin air with all the tundra around with the willows and everything. That's just such a rad country. I, I can like literally hear the pikas chirping out over basins as it echoes across the basin and the sun's coming up. And that's like quintessential freak me out mode. Like that just makes me so happy. Yeah, you give me chills talking about it just because I have that same love for that high country and chasing those things around. What a great approach to that buck, that you finding that master vantage point, you talking about your koas, your big eyes. And so you, you know, you don't hike right up on the mountain where you think you're going to find deer and be tight in those drainages trying to find one or two. And in every country that you hunt is different and takes a different approach and some country is tight and you have to be on top of it but i love that approach of yours of you hiked away from the bucks or to this master vantage point that just showed off all this country and now 
you know, you did end up killing a buck that day, but you really weren't planning on killing a buck. You were just wanted to to survey the scene. You wanted to watch all the bucks. You wanted to let things happen, see if there was other hunters, let them make their move. And then, like, you're just sitting back, like, letting all this stuff happen, just taking notes and taking tabs on, on where everything's at and where it's going to bed and looking for that right situation. And, and then also just your experience comes into play of now you know what the right situation is. So you talked about those guys moving in on that buck too early before they let the thermal switch before they were coming uphill before those those bucks got in their second bed or a bed that you could count on them being on and so like being an experienced hunter you you can you can see those mistakes you know but but i I just love that approach of grabbing that master vantage point like living and dying behind your glass and walking with your eyes it's something that everybody says or everybody thinks that they do but it really is like this this switch of a mindset of just trying to get where you can see country the best where you can see the basin the best and sometimes like i had this spot that i would hunt in colorado and um the first time i went there i ended up killing a buck and i would hunt the ridge line and then i'd glass over the top and it was great because if i saw a buck I could watch him down below me and watch him bed and I could be close to him. Like I could stalk him within 30, 40, 50 minutes. You know, I was just down on him. I could keep eyes on him. So it worked really well and I killed a buck. Well, the next time I went in there, the the storms were bad, which will make those thermals switch around. The, the bucks were moving around this huge drainage, but I could only see like pieces and parts of it. I could only see the one side of this drainage, and then I'd have to move somewhere else to see the middle part of the drainage, somewhere else to see the right side of the drainage. And so like I was just getting pieces and parts of this place. And so what I finally ended up doing is hiking even farther back in, all the way over the top, all the way down the drainage, and all the way up to a vantage point that would just give me like this panoramic view of the whole thing. Like, So then I could sit back like you did and really take stock of what the bucks are doing, and also I'm really low impact. Like I'm not up on the ridge where my scent can drift down, where I'm in close proximity, where maybe a buck comes over the ridge and catches me. Like all of a sudden I'm backed way away from these bucks, and I can just sit and observe, and then I wait for my chance to go all in. And and it worked out, and I ended up killing a buck. It was later in the hunt, but it was because of that tactic that I killed him. So it is like you have to believe in the process of like living and dying behind your glass and getting to those vantage points. And and um, just like you stated, I, I bet you believe it, there's nothing more important to turning up bucks than that. Oh, without question, man. Like I – that's a 1 million percent every single time go-to. I, I don't deviate from it. I am I am not – I'm a very aggressive hunter. When I find something, um, I'm extremely aggressive. I, I'm not afraid to really, you know, get after it. However, before I find something, I'm, like, super low-key. Um, you don't even know I'm around. I'm miles away. Generally, um, I do not get up into basins. As a matter of fact, you know, this hunt that I have coming up is probably one of the few times that I'll be have a little bit of a higher impact just because due to the geography of the area, because I'll, I'll be a little bit closer to everything. But uh, almost everywhere I hunt, um, I always find a way to be three to five miles away. That That's like 
where I stay. I'll, I'll stay three to five miles away and I watch with my koas. Even if I have to hike them up 3,000 vertical feet, I don't care. That's where I'll stay. I'll watch. I'll watch. I'll observe. And if the timing's right, like, I will, you know, get over there fast. Like, I mean, it doesn't take, you know, max of, what, hour and a half, two hours, like, you're on it. Like, it doesn't take long to get in position uh, if, if the position, the, the conditions are right. But for, for sure, I'm definitely, that's the whole beauty about being a bow hunter is that you can be super low impact and, and extremely low key and let them do their thing. And, you know, generally speaking, I mean, you don't really have to wait for a deer to like put themselves in a good spot. I mean, almost everywhere a deer puts himself in they're they're, you know, they're vulnerable. They're always vulnerable. It's just whether or not you want them to fall off that cliff right there and break their antlers when they, you know, when you get the shot on them or, Kind of like that's really only the things that you really ever think about. Um, if we stand back and just kind of observe and watch and just let them make the choices, um, they usually put themselves in a really great spot. And it's when we push our agenda that, you know, things get messed up. Uh, when we're not pushing our agenda, we're just letting them kind of do their thing. That's when we, that's when we do the best with, with the stocks. Yeah. A uh, well stated. Um, Okay, so you're you're right. Those muleys, I'm the same way. I hunt aggressive. I don't sit and watch a buck I want to kill for five days to make a stock. Like I, I usually I find a buck. Uh, very rarely, I'll wait a day. Say if a a buck bed's above them. Say the buck disappears in some timber, so I don't know his exact bed. Like if the situation changes where all of a sudden it's low percentage to go in there, I won't. But most times, like you say, those bucks do put themselves in a vulnerable position if you just sit back and watch you can watch them bet and then most days if that's a buck you want to kill you can make a play on them you then you're just waiting for the conditions to be right the the thermals to be up that that buck to be in his second bed him to be in an approachable spot and if he's not like it's amazing if you just sit with a buck they'll put themselves in a bad spot it may be their next bed or maybe the afternoon or where they feed out or, or whatever the case but you're right in that those those deer will put themselves in a bad position. Um, the other thing you stated, too, is uh, sitting back and watching from afar. But then once you decide to go, you're, you're right. So a muley stock is usually slow and methodical. But I'm with you as I will be jogging or pushing hard to get in position for that buck. And so the, it's knowing what speed to travel. And so when you spot that buck and you bet him and you decide you're going to go after that buck – I try to get up and above or where I'm going to close in as quick as I can out of sight. And sometimes that's a jog. Sometimes that's a fast hike. But I am sweating and going for it. I am all in. And I, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get into position so I can make a stock on this buck before he changes beds again. So I want him to still be there where I left him. And so that's why I'm hurrying and trying to go. But, but through saying that, I – you know, you also have to not. We have to be careful, but everybody has to be careful. Um, that that you can't be reckless on a stock. If you're gonna cross a meadow below that buck, like I'll look at that buck and I'll go, this isn't a chance worth taking. He could catch me in this meadow. He could catch me moving across this. Like I need to take the hard decision here, and I need to drop down and go all the way around. And so. Like I know what I can get away with and what I can't, and so I'm never reckless. But I'm with you as I'm very aggressive. Yeah, it's it, it's really what it, it, it. In my opinion, it's really what gets them dead. Um, 
you know, being overly cautious, I think, ends up with a lot more um, blown opportunities and literally, I think, uh, blown stocks. Like they wind you, the wind eventually swirls, you know, you're waiting for them to get up out of their bed. I can't really say I wait for too many bucks to get out of their bed. Uh, if I don't have a shot, then usually I'm backing out and getting another angle to be able to get narrow in, um, in their bed. And, and I think that, you know, waiting for them to get up out of their bed, like, man, after three o'clock, you're just like, you're sitting there. You're like a t sitting duck time bomb, like waiting to go off. It's, it's better to control the situation and uh, press the agenda and make something happen. Uh, I call it making your luck, but, um, than it is to like sit there and wait them out. Uh, I, I don't know that I've sat many bucks out, to be honest. Oh, see, that's really interesting because I do end up waiting them out. I That's my go-to. is And it does blow up on me, just like you stated, when the wind swirls. But to me, it's like the highest percentage. Now, I'm with you. If I can get an angle on that buck in his bed, I am going to try to get there and make that shot. But I would say the majority of bucks that I kill – I get within range of where they're bedded and don't have a shot, and then I wait for them to get up and walk out. And it doesn't work out all the time, but um, that's a lot of times my move. So that uh, a little bit of difference in our tactics there, which is really interesting to hear. Um, it, it, it is and it isn't because I know it's, it is effective. I think that uh, where I press the envelope is that um, – I tend to be a very kind of impatient person. I've taught myself that I need to slow down to enjoy the process, like kind of, you know, looking at the mountains, taking inventory, being stoked that I'm there, having that open and reverent heart for the moment and allowing myself to enjoy that process more. Um, but I, I've, I guess in my earlier years with this, I ended up, having a lot of animals blow out on me um, because of that. Like I ended up just, you know, watching a lot of bucks catch my wind at my back. And then next thing you know, they're gone. In some situations, there's just no choice. You, you, that, that is the card, the cards that that's the hand you're dealt. You don't have a choice, but to wait them out. Um, but boy, if I can, if I can back out and come in where I see there's another position or advantage and angle that I can gain to be able to get the shot. I mean, I do it every time. Um, I won't sit there. If, I, if I'm in range and I know, you know, it's just a matter of time before they get up and walk out, I'm, but I have the opportunity to back out and come in at a slightly different angle, slightly uphill, slightly downhill, whatever the case may be, and, and there's a hole for me to get my arrow in, like that's my choice, like 10 out of 10 times. Oh, that's so interesting. It it makes great sense. Um, but yeah, like, like um, I, I think I can learn from that. I think I can get a little bit better at my encounters because um, you're right. It is a roll of the dice when you're waiting for those mule deer to come out. And you're right is that wind can swirl and drop down to them. And the more times – the more time you spend in that close proximity, in that close bow range, it's it's almost like a ticking time bomb waiting to go off. Like either that buck's going to give up and give you the shot or, you know, something's going to go away. So I really like your aggressive approach, and I also like what you said as you move into range, if you don't have a shot on that buck, a lot of times you're backing out. Now, when you back out – you're looking for a different way to get in and get that shot at a buck or you're looking to back out and wait for that buck to, to move or expose himself differently. I only back out if I see a different possible route. Like there's the thing about, you know, 
uh, open terrain that's so great is that there's so many options. Um, you know, when you're in like closed in tight trees and, and they're just bedded up in like the willows, uh, you know, that's kind of a little bit different. You just, a lot of the times getting up really tight on them and, and <laughs> this sounds funny, but like, you know, toss some rocks at them, uh, get them to jump up and they'll hop like three or four steps and then they'll just kind of like stand there and look and, you know, I've killed a few that way. Um, it's just, again, I'm not super, super patient. I'm very aggressive, but at the same time, like it's always paid off, meaning they die that way. Um, they, their curiosity kills them like 10 out of 10 times. And they get, you know, especially if they don't know what it was, they're not going to like run clear across the basin if they don't know what it was. And they're, they're all about like looking to see what that strange noise was. Uh, they'll hop up or they'll get up and look and like, as long as you're at full draw, like it's, it's a kind of a done deal. But, um, yeah, I'm always exploring that different route. I don't like throwing rocks. I don't like whistling. I don't like doing that stuff. Some, cause most of the times when you whistle, they'll just hear you and then that'll make them hold tighter. Um, that won't get them up out of their beds. It has to be something natural that will get them up out of their beds. Like, Rocks have a tendency to, you know, pique their curiosity. They'll get up and look. Uh, but sometimes they'll hold tight, and it'll make them hold tighter, and they don't do anything. And then you just got to back out and try and get another angle on them. But I think in, you know, I don't know how many kills it is. I, I candidly haven't kept track, but it's – I would think at this point it's well over 50, 60, or I don't know. It could be well more than that, to be honest. But um, – I haven't, I don't know if I've waited more than one or two bucks out. I just yeah, killed. Yeah, well, it, it makes sense. And see, I find this hunting with, with my buddies too that we are all individuals and we all have different tactics. Uh, that we rely upon and and I find like I can almost put a barometer on aggressiveness on on different hunters that I hunt with and I have one you know and it's not to say that they're more or less successful like there's just different ways to go about it so you know I have one buddy that is so slow so patient um, you know he still hunts everywhere he walks he never goes anywhere quickly uh, the guy is really good in the crunch makes his shots and the guy is successful you know, time and time again. And, and then one of his buddies is one of the most aggressive guys I hunt with. And he was always pushing the envelope and always going hard, but he's always getting into animals and he's always making things happen. And he finds just as much success. Like it's wild how you can be on two different ends of the spectrum or somewhere in between. Like you almost got to find like you as an individual, what plays good, you know, what works for you. And like, like you've thrown rocks and had that work for you. Well, the, you know, I tried that early and tried throwing rocks and I haven't had it work out for me. So I just, I don't like that. I, I don't have that in my toolbox. I don't throw rocks at them anymore. Like I'm patient <laughs> and let them walk out. But isn't that crazy how we have different tactics, but we both find success on mule deer. Totally. It sounds funny. When, it sounds funny when you say that because like, you know, you just picture this dude like up there with his bow, like throwing rocks and it's just kind of like a funny picture. But yeah, <laughs> I, I totally, I totally get that. And, uh, and, and what works for me doesn't work for everyone. That, that is the uniqueness. But I think that, that really it's not about how aggressive or, or how not aggressive you are. I think it's, um, 
your ability to execute under pressure. Mm-hmm. I also think that it really comes just down to um, instinct. Yes. I don't think that my way is right or anybody else's way is right. I think that you're, you're going to be born with instinct or you're not. And instinct is extremely difficult to learn if the skill set's not there. Um, I, I for, for years, I mean, I see it in business. I see it in hunting and fishing and in sports. I mean, you know, less than 5% of the population accounts for 95% of anything. Like, I know you're going to get something this year, Brian, period. Like, it's just going to happen. I, you know, I'm not going to say that I will or won't, but I'm, I know that, you know, where I would stack my chips. And, I know uh, you're going to get something. <laughs> and, and it's kind of like, you know, I feel that way about like a handful of people. I just know that they're on fire and, Basically, when they see something, there's definite, you know, trouble coming, whatever is in their direction. Like, it's just they're going to get it done. And it's kind of interesting. And then, you know, you also see the same names that, you know, I love this so much. I want success. How do you do it? And you just you kind of throw your hands up in the air a little bit and go, gosh, I mean, you know, I I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it it comes down to um, it comes down to that that truly and and and. Humbly, it comes down to um, instinct. Dude, you hit the nail on the head. Um, to It comes down to instincts, those small decisions you make, the decisions to go in, to not go in, to hurry, to not hurry, to relax. Like all those micro decisions go into whether – you know, you're you're going to capitalize on this opportunity that you've created. And, and you're so right in, in that there's guys that have instincts and 5% kill 95% of the animals or 5% of anything does 95% of it. But I do think that just like you stated earlier that it can be achieved. Instincts can be honed. And instincts are create, created through experiences and learning from those experiences. And through that, you start to build your instincts through anything, through hunting, through life, whatever it is. But the more you pay attention to it and the more you work at it, like anything that you want to create has to be created brick by brick. And even though you have great instincts in your hunting, in your business, in your life, like – you didn't have great instincts when you started. When you started, you made a lot of mistakes, and you had to learn from those. And through that, you gained that experience, honed your instincts to to where now, you know, you're you're a, a stone cold killer. Like if if there's a mule deer on the hill that you want, you know, there's a good chance that you're going to run an arrow through him. And so, I just think that that those instincts can be honed, and if you want it bad enough. That, that you can create those for yourself and become a better hunter, become better in business. It's just paying attention, building that wall brick by brick. That, that's, that's a very good way of, of looking at it. Um, and, and I think that, you know, there's a lot to be said for that, truly. I mean, I've built some pretty large companies um, throughout my day, especially when I was in mortgage. We built a company from the ground up. It's now the nation's second largest uh, consumer direct lender in the entire United States. We have 7,800 employees. Um, And I built that from a team of 12 with uh, a really good friend of mine who is the president and CEO and a couple of very talented CEOs as well that are just incredible operators. Um, and, And in that, our core philosophy has always been leadership, but 
within the, the hiring structure or uh, within the ability to ensure that the decisions are being made in the correct fashion to make sure the company is going to succeed within the realm of the putting the right people in the right places, it always comes down to attitude and ability. Man, attitude is so important, isn't it? It, it, it's, it's the, it's, it, okay. It's no more important than ability, but it is, if you lack one and you have the other, then it's just not going to happen. Like you can have the greatest attitude in the world, be super happy, like, you know, making everybody just feel like you're just the best person to be around ever. But if you lack ability and you really want a deer, it doesn't matter how much you try and how good your attitude is. You have to have the ability, the skill set. I've seen it with thousands of people that have walked through the door getting hired and fired. Some people want to be salespeople. It's like you're not a salesperson. You're supposed to be in operations processing these loans, not selling them on the front end. And once you see this dynamic over and over and over again and you see these different personality types, it's really good to understand that algorithm of what your personality type is and the type of person that you're best suited to to know whether or not your ability and your skill set aligns with that now yes i believe that if you really want something like if you want to become a pole vaulter like you'll probably you know learn how to be a pole vaulter brian like you'll probably be able to you know maybe do a four and a half five meter pole vault but that's like really up there. Like the world records are over six meters. So if you want to beat a world record, like that's got to be your entire life. And you have to have the instinct to know how to, you know, when to plant your vault and, 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 and get over the top of the, the bar, right. To be able to make the next world record pole vault like this. That's like irrelevant. I don't, I don't pole vault. I know very little about it, but I do know that there's some people that, um, that's just what they're born and bred to do. And they have the instinct to be able to, and not only that, but they have the attitude that says I can, and they'll do it. Whereas, so some people will go into a hunt and they can have the greatest attitude in the world. And it'll be 10 years of honing, gaining wisdom, learning from what not to do. And because they just stuck with it, they're, they're going to be successful a few times, but they'll, they'll pop, they'll most likely never be a Brian Barney. Yeah, that's um, it, that's good insight. I like the way you explained it through business and and watching so many people walk through the door and and really needing both. And you can hone both, but um, you we are given a skill set, uh, you know, genetically that that we have to just do as as much with what we're given as we can. But um, that it makes sense what you're explaining. I, I love it because I think that wherever there's a will for anybody that they stick with it, they're, they're going to find some success for sure. There's just no doubt about it. And it's just depending on, you know, really what we want and how bad we want it. And manifestation is powerful. Like if you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you tell yourself you're a great guy and that you'll do good things for people and then you go out into the world and you do do good things for people – and, and you act in your best efforts to make sure that you do right and you are a good guy, um, you know, that will become your commonplace and you will, you'll be that. You'll emulate it. It will become itself. I and mean, that's how I built a company from not knowing how to take a picture to save my life to 
you know, being a multi-million dollar legacy. It, it, it has to do with putting the manifestation of your purpose, state of mind, and drive into a place of being which allows that uh, to take place. And, and that's got to be a place that you perpetuate through, you know, believing in it. And so everyone, those that listen to this and, and, and seek insight and success and whatnot, it's like it will definitely happen for you no matter who you, you know, who you are, what personality you come from. If you really want a deer with your bow or an elk with your bow or anything with a bow or, or doesn't matter what kind of um, weapon you choose, it's going to happen. It's just the law of numbers dictates that you will find success. Um, and, and depending on how dedicated you are, just depends on, on and, and how much, you know, uh, what kind of skill set you have with regard to instinct, attitude, ability will determine just how consistently successful you are. Yeah, that's, um, that's really inspirational. And you're right. Like, I just don't feel, you know, I don't feel like I was given a leg up or anything special. It's just something that I absolutely fell in love with. And, and I learned at an early age that the harder I worked at something, the better I got, the more focus and energy. And like you say, you can manifest anything that's, that's, that's what I wanted more than, than anything in life, you know, is to, to go out in the woods, to enjoy it and to find consistent success. At least when I was young, that was what's driving me. And as I get older, you know, I, I, I fell in, I've fallen in love with the, the process and, and, and training and going and then being in the woods. But, um, you know, so, so I do, I just feel like anybody's capable of it. If I can do it, anybody can do it. And I wasn't great when I started out. Like I've, I've had to learn these hard lessons and I've had to dedicate myself to my shooting through, you know, I, I've aligned myself with really good shooters, um, and, and, and shooting in, in leagues and tournaments and then asking questions and then putting in the work and then also, you know, learning the bow inside and out so I could work on my own equipment, asking questions to to smarter people than me that knew more about bows and really wrapping my brain around the, the this weapon that I have and around this whole process of shooting and trying to improve. And so like like I've just taken each facet of hunting and I I believe like there's these pillars to hunting that that make you a better hunter and also make you enjoy it more, make you enjoy the experience. You enjoy that that backcountry hunting so much more when you're in good shape when you don't feel like you're like you might kill yourself up there or you're the edge of death and the mountains have a way of challenging us but so i've just found like these pillars of hunting that i could work on like i could work on my physical fitness and then and then i could see that hard work pay off during hunting season when i had to sprint to get to that deer i had to cut them off or when i had to go day after day and what that also does it is like my running it sharpens my mental toughness you know it making myself do it every day is discipline you know not making excuses being disciplined getting out there and then you know step after step when i don't want to be out there running or i don't feel like it i have to make myself do it and through that like i'm just sharpening my mind you know and and when i sharpen my mind when i sharpen my physical fitness when i sharpen my shooting abilities and then through experience i've got my stalking skills to a place where I can really trust him, where I can trust my instincts that I know, you know, I'm going to make the right moves when faced with that decision. I know when to go all in and when not, or when to hold back or when to push. And so like through all these different pillars, like I've just broken down hunting to, to where I can work on it year round and improve each one of those things. And I always think that, 
you're ready for success before you see success. So I put in all this work and I, I'm still not able to kill this 180 inch mule deer, but it's coming. I put in the work and improve my skill set and then it's just a matter of time. And then once you have that skill set and you gain that confidence, it just starts happening year after year after year. And I, I just don't think there's anything special I brought. I think it's just like you said, attitude and then and then also like manifesting my destiny, wanting it bad enough and breaking it down and working on each part of it. Totally. Like yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just going to that was a mic drop, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, you've had plenty of mic drops during this podcast. Man, I have learned so much discussing this with you. I have had an absolute blast. Dude, we got to stay in touch, and um, we got to come on again, like, after your hunt this year. Any any time. Like, it's – I'm totally stoked to be a part of this. So, yeah, anytime you want my voice back again, you got it. Um, and uh, – Hopefully we just have like a super epic season with a lot of great memories and, and, you know, stay safe on the mountain. Yes, sir. That is the main goal. Um, absolutely, man. Well, I couldn't enjoy this more. This is so fun for me. So I've got your number. I'm going to keep in touch with you. And thanks so much for taking the time. And, man, this is um, – our audience is really going to connect with this. This is um, this is great right before season to put out to guys, and I'm sure it's going to help in their success. So thank you. That's – you know what? As we grow older in this, that's all we could ever ask for, dude. Just if we can pump positivity and good vibes out there and, you know, if a couple of old dudes that like bow hunting can get together and maybe like spark something that was a new idea and somebody to go out and hopefully have them help them find success, that's like, that's killer to me. That's, yeah, I'm nodding my head. Heck yeah. High five. <laughs> <laughs> me too, dude. So, um, well, sounds good, man. We'll keep in touch and thanks again. Sounds good, bro. All right. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Man, sometimes I listen back and I get talking so fast when I get fired up, but um, that's just the way it is, right? Uh, but yeah, really fun conversation talking with Marlon. I, I love that introspective, uh, you know, analyze the world from different perspectives I just love that deep thinking. Um, so I just really had fun talking with him. And as you guys know, uh, I make friends with everybody I have on the podcast. So Marlon's my new best friend. Um, just really enjoy getting to know that guy in a long form conversation. That's where the podcast is so great. So um, really fun conversation. Got me fired up. I'm leaving in two days. I absolutely can't wait to cut these legs loose. Um, been training hard all year, shooting hard all year, you know, all for these few hunts coming up here. And man, I am all in. Uh, been running all week, every single day. Uh, I'll try to take a day or two off if I can make myself do it, if I don't have too much um, nervous anticipation going into it. Um, but yeah, just training my body to be ready to, to put out the effort day in and day out. Uh, put in the miles, put in the elevation. And uh, then just can't wait to try to get those those small nuances of the stock right and get that shot at that big old muley. So I just can't wait to um, I just can't wait to get to the mountains, just like you guys. Um, it's the 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 absolute best adventure that that I could ever plan or ever hope for. And we're just so fortunate as average guys that we get to go on these adventures and um, look forward to them and uh, really test ourselves out there. So yeah, I can't wait. Uh, I'm into another solo podcast, but great one with Marlon. I really enjoyed it. I want to thank our sponsors, Zamberlin Boots. 
um, just making great boots. I'm running, again, those 320 Trailite Evo GTXs and then also running a 103 Hike Light RR. Those are those tennis shoes. So uh, make sure to check them out. Or if you're into a different model, they've they've got uh, different ones to fit every individual. So um, thanks to Zamberlin. With that over there at Eastman's, um, yeah, we're just all going on our hunts. Uh, really fun to check in and, and back and forth. We're going to come out with some really good Beyond the Grids coming up here in the next couple weeks. So I'll let you guys know what episodes and when they come out. And then um, just awesome podcast coming your way for hunting season. I just can't wait to release these ones to you guys. Um, so I'll get these all loaded up and ready to go. And uh yeah, I'm going to get on the road and get to the mountain. So I'll check in with you guys soon. Um, keep working hard towards your goals. Hunt hard. Uh, season's here. It, the time is now. <laughs>